Welcome to the Immortal Souls Podcast, where we explore the history, stories, myths, legends, and hype that make shoes what they are today. We are Jared and Nick, two brothers with a passion for shoes. We are excited to have you along for the journey. Shoes come in all forms and functions and play a big part of who we are. Like we've talked about the last couple of episodes, humans have a long history with shoes. The same can be said for shoes and the cinema. Since the dawn of cinematic history, there have been numerous instances where shoes are central to the film. Whether they're used as a stunning visual device, a vehicle to move the plot, a symbol of a key character, or a representation of the entire film, featured in cinema, certain shoes have achieved the status of becoming a symbol not only of that film, but of a certain era, point in time, or cultural moment. Okay, so there are so many iconic shoes and shoe moments in cinema, it would be virtually impossible to objectively and definitively identify the top cinematic shoe moments. There are just too many factors to consider, too many ways to evaluate the importance, and so on. So, we are going to look at some of our favorite top shoe moments in cinematic history. More specifically, we are going to take a look at four of our favorite cinematic shoe moments. Again, this list is completely subjective, and it is definitely not definitive. And obviously, it is purely for entertainment. And just for kicks, and to help cover our bases, we will also go through a handful of honorable mentions after we work through these top four. So, without further ado, and in no particular order, let's jump into our list with the first of our top shoe moments in cinematic history. Okay, let's check this one off the list right away. For the first time ever, Nike designed a shoe from scratch and specifically for a movie. When Tinker Hatfield led creative efforts to create the Nike Mag in 1989 for the second installment of the Back to the Future franchise. These shoes are most prominently featured in the film when Marty McFly leads Griff Tannen and his gang on a hoverboard chase in futuristic 2015. The name Nike Mag actually comes from the word magnetic because, of course, you need magnetic force to stay attached to a hoverboard. While we wish the power laces in Back to the Future 2 were real, the actual power lacing system was a relatively primitive setup which was activated by prop men who were actually positioned below Marty McFly on set. The prop men jibby-rigged a system that allowed them to manually tighten his laces by pulling from below. 
In the nearly 30 years since the movie's release, the Nike Mag has been one of the most dreamt of and coveted shoes among sneaker aficionados. Over 15 years after the movie's release, Tinker Hatfield began remaking the Nike Mag from scratch in 2005. After a lot of hard work and some time, Hatfield eventually was able to successfully bless all of us with two iterations of the Nike Mag, both in extremely limited quantities, one in 2011 and another in 2016. The great thing is that both iterations have done so much more than just make shoe lovers like us happy and keep the Back to the Future franchise in the public eye. Both Nike Mag releases in 2011 and 2016 have also generated millions of dollars for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which, as many of you probably know, is dedicated to furthering Parkinson's research. Today, you can find a pair of the 2011 or 2016 Nike Mag releases for your own collection if you're willing to pay, and that's going to usually be north of $10,000. And if you're on the hunt for a movie-worn Nike Mag, just know that one of those just sold in 2018 for over $90,000, and that was just one shoe. Listen, it's a man's game, and you can't play. What if I tried really hard? Can you keep it down, trying to hit this ball? It's because I'm white, isn't it? No, Larry's white, so what? Larry's not white. Larry's clear. Who doesn't love a good underdog story, especially when Michael Jordan, in his prime, is actually the underdog in a high-stakes basketball game? (laughs) Despite this unrealistic alternate reality, the head-scratching scoreboard telly and the troubling fact that MJ's on-screen kids just don't seem that concerned at all when a couple of cartoon characters tell them that their dad has been kidnapped, Space Jam is a cherished remnant of anyone who lived their childhood in the 90s. Space Jam is the complete package of 90s awesomeness. We're talking Bulls era Michael Jordan, Looney Tunes, the quintessential 90s R&B music. The nostalgia is just too much to resist. And honestly, we're not the only ones who feel this way. Space Jam is the highest grossing basketball movie of all time. Over $230 million worldwide. And additionally, that amazing soundtrack has sold enough copies to be certified six-time platinum. That's pretty amazing. Just look at some of the artists featured on this soundtrack. You've got people like Jay-Z, salt and Peppa, Seal, D'Angelo, R. Kelly, Barry White, Busta Rhymes, Coolio, and yes, even Chris Rock. So clearly, Space Jam packs quite a cultural punch if you're talking about representation of the 1990s. And we have not even cracked open the proverbial shoebox yet on this film. The black, white, and Concord Air Jordan 11s, affectionately referred to as simply Space Jams, quickly became one of the most iconic and sought-after Air Jordan models after the movie was released in fall of 1996. Jordan himself actually debuted the Space Jam 11s in the 1995 NBA playoffs versus Shaquille O'Neal in the Orlando Magic. And ironically, or maybe it's not ironic, but interestingly, that playoff series ended up being the only playoff series loss suffered by the Bulls in their dynasty era through the 90s. Obviously, the Space Jams are not the only model of Jordans in the film. 
Also featured are the Jordan 9s, both in cleat and basketball forms, the Shadow Air Jordan 10s, and Bill Murray, when he makes his cameo, even sports the Air Jordan 2s. Of all these, however, the Space Jam 11s were undoubtedly the most significant sneaker featured in the film. And this fact is made clear just by looking at the sales numbers, the cultural impact, and the enduring popularity of these shoes today. Let's fast forward 20 years from Space Jam's 1996 film release. Nike, since then, has released three retro versions of the Space Jam 11 shoes. One in 2000, one in 2009, and another version in 2016. Although all of these re-releases were highly anticipated and were all a resounding success, the 2016 Space Jam 11 release absolutely hit it out of the park. Though there are not many hard numbers readily available, Nike brand president Trevor Edwards stated in 2017 that the 2016 Space Jam Air Jordan 11 release was the largest and most successful shoe launch in the history of Nike. And I feel pretty fortunate. I actually uh, was able to grab a pair of these as well. And I can attest to just how expertly uh, they were recreated. And it really is just a beautiful, stunning shoe. Now, aside from the fact that sneakerhead and shoe collecting culture was much more prevalent than perhaps in 2000 or 2009 when the other re-releases occurred, the 2016 version of the Space Jams was also unique compared to the previous retro releases. For example, it featured um, a Space Jam sneaker that was much more focused than the previous releases on recreating the original iteration of the Space Jams. It focused on little details like reverting the number on the heel to 45 instead of 23, the 2016 model has a higher cut of patent leather. It has a Concord colored Jumpman logo rather than the lighter shade of blue used in previous re-releases. It's got Nike Air on the insoles, white midsoles, and it has the famed translucent outer soles. Additionally, there were other details in the shoe and packaging that hearkened back to the original 1996 release of the shoe. That day, for no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. So I ran to the end of the road, and when I got there, I thought maybe I'd run to the end of town. President Carter, suffering from heat exhaustion, fell into the arms and of... When I got there, I thought maybe I'd just run across Greenbow County. And I figured since I run this far, maybe I'd just run across the great state of Alabama. And that's what I did. I ran clear across Alabama. No particular reason, I just kept on going. I ran clear to the ocean. And when I got there, I figured since I'd gone this far, I might as well turn around, just keep on going. When I got to another ocean, I figured since I'd gone this far, might as well just turn back, keep right on going. When I got tired, I slept. When I got hungry, I ate. When I had to go, you know,
Before we get into the actual shoe moment of the Nike Cortez, let's talk just briefly about the Nike Cortez itself. Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight were just starting a fledgling company that was still known as Blue Ribbon Sports. In 1971, on May 30th to be exact, inspired by the Greek goddess of victory, Bowerman and Knight changed Blue Ribbon Sports to Nike Inc. In so doing, they also decided to introduce their own line of shoes featuring the Nike Cortez, which started a year-long battle with Onitsuka Tiger over who had the actual rights to the Cortez name. Now, both companies continued to sell shoes with similar designs and both under the Cortez name until the court ruled in Nike's favor in 1974, granting them full ownership of the Cortez name. And this led Onitsuka to rebrand the shoe with a reworked design known as the Tiger Corsair, which is actually still a popular shoe. While 1994's Forrest Gump was certainly not the first or the last appearance of the Nike Cortez on screen, it was certainly one of the most iconic, as the white, red, and blue leather Cortezes are gifted to Forrest by Jenny, and equipped with his new running shoes, Forrest sets off on a run that would eventually take him across the United States more than twice over the space of three-plus years. While running cross-country, Forrest is fictionally responsible for sparking the jogging craze of the late 70s and early 80s, accidentally starting the smiley face trend with the Have a Nice Day slogan, among other things. And I have to say, even in a fictional context, having those white, red, and blue Cortezes associated with some of these important moments in American history helped to elevate the status and sales of the shoe. When the Nike Cortez celebrated the shoe's 45th birthday in 2017, one of the OG colorways released was actually dubbed the Forrest Gump you know, unlike a box of chocolates with a pair of these clean shoes, you know exactly what you're going to get. And that is a timeless classic. Shut up! You're killing me, Smalls. Who can resist the nostalgia-soaked The Sandlot? Not only does it spark nostalgia for the decade when this 1993 cult classic was released, but it also harkens back to the 1960s when the movie is set. There are also strong themes of childhood transition into adolescence, the fabled and somewhat romanticized story of baseball in the United States through the early to mid-20th century, and enjoying the simpler things and moments that are a part of growing up. We probably don't even have to speak to the amazing shoe moment in this classic film, as most of you probably already know where we are going with this. Only one kid in history had ever attempted what Benny was about to. And he got eaten. So we were worried. Real worried. Even when Benny brought out the secret weapon. Shoes guaranteed to make a kid run faster and jump higher. PF Flyers. The great thing about the prominent inclusion of the PF Flyers in the Sandlot is the accuracy in the storytelling, in the sense that 
Although the PF Flyer brand was actually dormant during the years of the Sandlot's production and release in the 1990s, the shoe was at the height of its powers in the 1960s when this film is set. Again, rewinding back into time a little bit to give some context, in 1933, the inventor Hyman L. Whitman was granted a U.S. patent for a Posture Foundation arch support. And over time, Posture Foundation was shortened to PF. BF Goodrich Rubber and Tire Company took ownership of that brand and they released successive models and styles of PF flyers. Everything from basic canvas shoes to women's and children's collections, military footwear, and even athletic shoes endorsed by the Boston Celtics guard Bob Cousy, which put PF Flyer on the map in terms of it becoming one of, if not the first brand, to enlist a high-profile athlete to market an athletic shoe. And that happened in 1958, this relationship with Bob Cousy. Now, by 1962, about the time the Sandlot is supposed to have taken place, PF Flyers were selling millions of pairs each year. The brand even had a comic book called the PF Magic Shoe Adventure Book, which actually also saw a, albeit brief, TV show launch. In 1972, BF Goodrich left the shoe industry selling off the PF Flyers brand to the Eltra Corporation, which was the parent company of Converse at the time. Eventually, the brand would lie dormant from 1975 to 2000, and largely out of the public eye, except for a few moments, like when it was featured in the Sandlot. In 2001, New Balance purchased PF Flyer and put the wheels in motion to revive the brand. Two of the brand's most celebrated launches since then have undoubtedly been the 2005 relaunch of the all-black canvas shoe, which was featured in the Sandlot. And again, in 2013, New Balance and PF Flyer released an official secret weapon Sandlot sneaker, which was an exact replica of the movie's shoe with added details, including Sandlot branding on the insole to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the film's release. And I personally cannot believe that, you know, it's been over 20 years since the Sandlot released. And it actually brings up a lot of memories for me. I remember the first time I saw the Sandlot was actually, um, I remember going to a matinee double feature of the of the Sandlot. And the other movie in the double feature was actually the Chuck Norris movie called Sidekick. So uh, definitely a watershed moment for me when I saw the Sandlot because it was also my first introduction to Chuck Norris. That wraps up our top four. And you may or may not agree with these picks, and that's okay. In all honesty, our own top picks could likely change from day to day because there are just too many awesome cinematic moments where shoes steal the scene in a number of ways. You can give us your own top picks, and we likely would not disagree with you. In fact, we'd love to hear your own top picks. Drop us a note at hello at immortalsoulspodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Okay. Let's move on to a few honorable mentions in the iconic shoes in cinematic history. You cursed rat! Look what you've done! I'm melting! Melting! Oh, what a world! What a world! We're going to start with The Wizard of Oz and The Ruby Red Slippers. Now, although the exact number of pairs of slippers made for the 1939 film is unknown... 
we do know that at least five pairs are known to have survived. Original ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz are considered among the most valuable and treasured piece of film memorabilia. Interestingly, the novel by Frank L. Baum, on which the film is based, which was called The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, actually had Dorothy wearing silver shoes. In the film, they changed the color to ruby red, however, to take advantage of the relatively new technicolor process being used in film at that time. We could do a whole episode on the history of the famous ruby slippers, but for now, we will just say that these puppies fetch an asking price easily in seven figures. And the most easily accessible pair to see in person? They are actually on display at the Smithsonian's uh, Museum of American History. Yo! Yo! You almost knocked me down, man. The word is excuse me. Ah, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Not only did you knock me down, you stepped on my brand new white Air Jordans that I just bought. And that's all you can say is excuse me. Yeah, I'm serious. I'll f*** up quick two times. Two times. Who told you to step on my sneakers? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? Yo, man, your Jordans are f***ed up. Damn, man. You might as well throw them out. Oh, man, he looked at the good before he messed up. He did the shit on purpose, man. He was even talking about your mom. Oh, I heard that shit to me. He's so fine. Yo, man, how much you pay for him? A hundred bucks. American dollars. A hundred and eight with tax. I give him a hundred headaches. Look, you lucky the black man has a loving heart. Next time you see me coming, man, you cross the street quick. I'm out of here. Yo, man, bring yeah, his feet. Come on, bird. Take his diaper. I should make you buy me another pair. Take black panther, who is that? Take his diaper. Man, you're lucky I'm a righteous black man. Otherwise, you'd be in serious trouble, man. Serious. Then why'd you move back to Massachusetts? I was born in Brooklyn. Next on the list is Do the Right Thing. Now, most people know the memorable moment in this 1989 Spike Lee joint when Buggin' Out gets his brand new Cement 4s roughed up by a, let's say, less than sympathetic Larry Bird jersey wearing dude. I don't know a ton about this movie, but I do know that scene. In fact, it was so memorable that Nike produced a Buggin' Out Air Jordan 4 Do the Right Thing exclusive sneaker which was part of the Fly 89 pack. Feel free to check out the recreation of that scene in Nelly's 2008 single Stepped on My Jays. Definitely worth the watch, if anything, for the entertainment factor and the amazing shoe eye candy that you see throughout that whole music video. Don't let me find you out here again. We're trying to help you. I don't need help. Not my diagnosis. What gives you the right? What's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants. Last of our honorable mentions is Batman. Unfortunately, not Christian Bell's Batman. So that means we can't talk about this in a semi-coherent Cookie Monster voice. But anyway, a not-so-secret secret. Michael Keaton's Batman in 1989's Batman film was hooked up with customized all-black Nike Air Trainer 3s. And in 1992's Batman Returns, Nike pulled through once again, creating a boot for the Dark Knight from my personal favorite Jordans, the Jordan 6s. Now, for this film, 
obviously his costume, you know, is all black. You can't have those red highlights. So Nike created some customized all black Jordan 6s. And uh, check out those images on our site if you're interested. They're really cool. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For more information, show notes, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Twitter. Original theme music by Scott Spriggs. Five-star reviews are always helpful and hugely appreciated. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled.